pool side, there should also be an uh, invitation for a pool party. It's not a membership meeting, but I could go ahead and make a motion really quick. And uh, I mean, it's just been so stinking hot out. You know, I went golfing on Friday. It's not unusual. Three other guys are golfing. And by the time we got to the 16th hole, I looked at the other three guys and thought they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you will get that on the way home. Take your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 20, or you can follow along in the app if you like. As you're turning there, I want you to think about the power and significance of a simple check mark. This little symbol, it transcends boundaries, cultures, languages. It holds within it this story of achievement, of validation, or of some form of progress. Symbolizes triumph maybe over challenges, culmination of of a certain period of time of effort, crossing the finish line. Oftentimes there's emotion that is attached to that little check mark because you know that in order to have placed that check mark on a piece of paper or on your phone or wherever you place it, you know that there was an immense amount of effort and demand on your time and attention. And so you feel this wonderful joy of accomplishment. But then there's the opposite, where there are the unchecked parts of our life that is easy for us to have a negative emotion attached to. If only I had another opportunity to. If I, if I could go and get myself a time machine and go back, I could, I could actually take the high school football team to the championship, whatever it might be. But with the unchecked parts of our life, there's oftentimes disappointments and regrets because we didn't put the check mark. Last week, we talked about the importance and power of the resurrection and making sure that we don't live just in the here and now, but the there and then. And I want to do a little bit of a continuation on that because we're actually going to take this check mark and we're going to just do a millennial check. A millennial check. So what I did, because there's just so much, uh, there's so much scripture content, I could only put it in the app. There are actually 35 scripture references in the app under the sermon today. But also, uh, if you have any questions during the sermon, you can always text our texting number of 817-913-9113. But also on the app, I also put down a great link. If you've never been to Precept Austin, it's a great place just to go do and study and read commentaries of all sorts, and I put the link down there for you. We're going to look at Revelation 20 and a few verses out of there. Here, John is writing, and he writes this starting in verse 2. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. And bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit, or the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. 
Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Now let me stop right there, because in that few short verses, the phrase, the words, thousand years, was used six times. This is where, when, I, when you hear someone talk about the millennial reign of Christ, it's referring to the thousand years mentioned in this portion of Scripture. It's a millennial kingdom. Someone once said that when we understand the way Jesus rules and reigns today, in our world, it's a bit like the moon. He reflects the glory and the brilliance and the awesomeness of the Almighty God. But when he rules during the thousand-year reign, he will rule and reign with the brilliance, the power, and the majesty of the sun. Now, a thousand-year period of time is actually, it's, it's, this is the only place it's really mentioned as a thousand years or a millennial. But throughout Scripture, you find that it is referenced to. It's, it's pointing even from the Old Testament toward this time period. I believe we are incredibly close to the turning of the page from the age of the Gentiles into the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the reasons I feel so compelled to talk about the, the resurrected bodies last week and the millennial reign and, and, the, and the start of, and just because of a lack of a better way to put it, the start of eternity next week, is that, that I tend to have my, my end time antennas go up during the month of September. Because I, I've always believed that it, it's, it's during this, that time period we don't know the day or the hour, but it's during that time period where the festival, specifically the Feast of Trumpets, happen, that I think that the last trumpet will happen, and the resurrection of the dead and the catching away of the saints who remain will happen. And so I think it's important for us to not get so trenched into the here and now that we forget about the there and then. And so we're just going to kind of walk through some, some little check marks when it comes to 
the millennial reign. Because when you, when you think about the millennial reign, which oftentimes people don't, but theologians, theologians have for thousands of years, there are really three main thoughts, three main beliefs that are, that are well known in our world when it comes to the millennial reign. And how you base your belief off of one of those three will, will totally determine how you live in the here and now because of the way you view the there and then. And so we're going to look at it. There are three days. And, and here's what we're going to do. At the end of it, you're going to make a check mark on one of these. There's three of them that, that we're going to look at. And they're bringing that up. And I, I just want to walk through them really quickly. There's the, there's post-millennial, and that should be one word, amillennial, or amillennial is the right way to pronounce it, and premillennial. These are the three, the three. And ultimately, you're going, well, I didn't come to church today to be a theologian, but you live a life that is off a belief system. And so if you don't have the proper belief system looking forward, you're going to live the here and now in a way that is really unfulfilling. Not only in the here and now, but the there and then. And so when we talk about igniting change, it really is, is coming from a standpoint of saying, hey, the reason I'm focused on igniting change is because I understand the life I'm living is not just the here and now, but there really is a there and then. So what does that look like? Well, the post-millennial view is actually the, the youngest of all three of the views. It actually uh, came to prominence uh, during the 1700s uh, as it uh, was really propagated by uh, John Calvin. It, it really is this belief that the, the millennial reign, this, this, this dynamic of end times is, is something that is progressive. There's a progressive victory and, and it expands as there is an influence in Christianity. It became predominant in the United States in the 1700s because of the, the Great Awakening. And both John Edwards and, um, uh, and George Wetfield, they, this was their belief. And, and certainly as, as so many people were coming to Christ and the, and this idea of living a righteous life was, was a grassroots belief system that forced the government to live according to the way the people believed they should live. And so they believed that the more they would share the gospel, the more that they would help people come into a place of understanding the love of Christ so they can learn the life of Christ, that the, that the world would change dramatically. But it ran into a big problem when it came to World War I, the Great War. They looked around and said, the world isn't getting better. In fact, even though it was shaky during World War I, when it came to the war that ended all wars, the predominance of this post-millennial belief kind of went by the wayside because there was so much evil. Now, this will be hard for us to understand. There was so much evil in their face, they couldn't see the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. And when, when, you, when you really delve into the, the post-millennial belief system, there really is this idea that if we share the gospel enough, we will usher in the golden age that will usher in Jesus' return. So you have to understand that, that that may be a belief system. It's been a belief system of a number of presidents. Back at 9-11 and George W. Bush getting up and, and saying it's the providence of God for us to go to war. Not saying for or against. It was done out of a belief system that God created America to usher in this golden era of Christianity so Jesus would come back. Then there's the amillennial view 
This is, is they, they can date this back in writings of the early church fathers about the fifth century. It's certainly of the three, it's the second oldest one. And literally the awe in that means no. There's really no realized reign of Christ on this earth. Jesus reigns from heaven, and the inauguration of his reign happened at the cross and at the resurrection. And so while there is a certain belief of end times, they don't believe that the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth is literal. Now, you might say, well, how can they believe that? Well, they first of all believe that the book of Revelation has parts that, that point to the end, but as a whole, the book of Revelation was written for the first century church. And so how you read the book determines what you believe about the book. And so they, they just believe that it's there to encourage, but Jesus is going to rule from heaven. Then there's the premillennial view. Really, this is where I hope you place your checkmark, is that premillennial view. This, this actually goes back to the first century where you find that Justin Martyr uh, wrote, and here's what he wrote uh, in AD 109, roughly, they, they believe. He says, but I and others who are right-minded Christians on all points are assured that there will be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in Jerusalem, which will be built, adorned, and enlarged as the prophet's Ezekiel and Isaiah declare. And further, there will be certain man with us, whose name was John, one of the apostles of Christ, who prophesied by a revelation that was made to him that those who believed in our Christ would dwell a thousand years in Jerusalem. The premillennial view takes Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 and looks at that as a a, a timeline and really a progressive chronological order of things that are going to happen. Rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the thousand-year reign of of, um, Christ on earth, and the final judgment. I think it's important that you understand that that there, there's a timeline in all of this. And the timeline that's, that's up here, uh, you, you really have the, the first 4,000 years going up till uh, the, the, the cross where Jesus died and was born again, where you see the word Messiah. Those 4,000 years were looking forward to the advent, that's an important word even when it's not Christmas, the advent or the coming of Jesus. And you have to understand that like, like then, there are churches, there are religious people who will be so involved in religious activity that like when Jesus was born, they didn't even recognize it or realize it. There's the coming of Jesus again. And there are going to be people that don't have a relationship with him, but they're really hard working for the Lord. They're going to do what they have to do. They're going to do what they're supposed to do. But then you have these end of days, these 2,000, 2000 years. It's the, it's the dispensation of grace would be the theological term where God's grace is poured out to all flesh. Any who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I believe that when you get to that, that yellow line, we're right there before that. 
We're right before the rapture of the church, where in, in Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, in the, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, those who are dead will be raised and those who remain will be forever caught up with the Lord. There's this, this, this translation that happens in our physical bodies that causes us to go from mortals to immortal. I, I look forward to that. In fact, I was having a conversation with my, my parents this week, and I just get so excited when I think about what that's like. And here's the cool thing. When you, when you take all of history, you take the, the, the six days of creation, but the thousand years, the 6,000 years, and all the people that will have lived and all the people who will have looked toward Jesus and put their faith into him and all those since Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again, all those who looked back and received the payment of the penalty they deserved, they received that by faith. All those people are going to look at you and I and go, behold, you guys didn't face death. How cool is that? How many want to hang on until that moment? Right? Yeah. I think it'll be an incredible time in, in human history, in all of God's history, where there'll be this moment that I believe is very close and I really want to be a part of. And so we go up to, to heaven with Christ and we are with him for seven years. And we have the, we have the, the tribulation and the great tribulation, three and a half years, three and a half years. But at the end of the three and a half, at, seven, at the end of seven years, at the end of the three and a half great tribulation, we actually come back with Jesus. You were not made to live in heaven. Now, I know some of you are going, what? You were made to live here in Texas during the summer. <laughs> we're made to live here. In, and we'll get into this next week. But in the culmination of all things, the great God of heaven comes here because he wants to be with us. And so the millennial reign of Christ is that seventh day. It's a, it's a day of rest. It's a day that is separated. And, the, and, and listen, Lord Peter says that a day is as a thousand years. And so the, there's, this, there's this rest period that takes place. And when you understand that that's the moment we're working towards, that's the moment we're looking to, that's where I'm placing my check mark. The way you live here and now will change because you know there is a there and then. It changes because now it's not all about just working to retirement. Now it's not just about getting the bills paid. It's not just about whatever. You're going, wait a minute. I want to make sure that I maximize my time now to enjoy what he has before me. So if you, if you take and say, okay, I can, I can go with the, the, the pre-millennial belief. You check that off. All right, let's go to the grow piece. Because the grow piece, you got to just go, okay, the, the, why does there need to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth? When you understand why there needs to be a, a thousand-year reign of, of Christ on this earth, you, you go to, oh, I get it now. And so there, there are really four things, rewards, profits, prayers, and reminder. And each of these I want to talk about just, just for a couple minutes, and I want you to check out each one. Because I guarantee you the great God of heaven is going to be doing it during the millennial, millennial reign of Christ. The first and foremost is that it's a time of enjoyment of the rewards that we receive. When you understand that, that the life we live now is going to be rewarded in the life we live then, you begin to go, wait a minute. While I still will need to work on my retirement, I'm not going to work on my retirement alone. I'm going to make sure that I am diversifying in the here and now 
for the there and then. So in Isaiah, here's what it says in chapter 40, verse 10. It says, Behold the Lord, behold, behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. When we understand that the millennial reign of Christ is about our rewards, it, to me, the next question is, how do I get as much as I can? I don't want to get to heaven and go, man, I didn't do anything. I, don't, I just got there. That's, that's not an enjoyable thing. I don't want my works to be burnt up, Paul said. But when you understand there's, there's crowns, there's places of service, there's authority that's going to be handed out. Because Matthew 16 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So if you're going, I, I want rewards, every time you say, I trust you, Jesus, I believe you, Jesus, there's a reward attached to that every time. And sometimes the ask from God is pretty big. And as we looked at last week, it, in the resurrected body, there's marks when we say yes to the Father in those areas. But in order for everything that the prophets prophesied about to happen, there is a thousand-year period of Jesus reigning that has to take place. Psalm 72 says, May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. How's that going right now? It's not going. It's not going at all, right? Because, because humanity is still living in darkness. Don't get, don't get mad at blind people for being blind. Jesus hasn't returned, but there's coming a day where every nation, because again, the, the uniqueness and the, the specialness of each people group is of God. You know, we live in a divisive world that tries to divide people by race and color. Listen, there's ethnicity, and the cultures of the, of the different uh, nations will be celebrated. Isaiah said it this way. He said, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness— from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, I want you to catch this. Isaiah saw this 400 years before Jesus was, was walking on this earth. And for that to be fulfilled, we haven't seen that yet. So we look forward to a time where Jesus comes and rules and reigns and everything that was prophesied about him, including the boundaries of his nation, Israel, will happen during the millennial reign of Christ. So God will make sure that that is all checked off. But here's where it gets personal for us, where, where it comes to prayers. Do you realize that every time that you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are praying for the millennial reign of Christ? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be, there, be your name, your Kingdom come. Now, we're in a time where we want it to come in our household right, right now. 
And it needs to. And there's a dynamic of that. But the fulfillment of God's kingdom coming is going to be checked off during the millennial reign of Christ. And so when we pray those words, we are asking for that kingdom to be established. But here's the other dynamic that just that kind of just blows me away, is that the other check mark that takes place in the millennial reign of Christ is the reminder of the depravity of a heart and the importance of the cross. Now, you have to understand that during the millennial reign of Christ, we are not going to be in these mortal bodies. Do you understand that? We've been resurrected. But there are people uh, who will live through the tribulation period, who will not accept the mark of the beast because they're anti-government. So big population of them left behind in Texas will go, we're Texan, we're not following the Antichrist. Okay? And, the, and they're going to, and they're, you know, we're going to assume that, that God's not going to put a meteor right down and right in the middle. They're going to live and, and they're going to, and they're going to find a way to survive. And it's nothing like the, the books say that it's going to be, I'm sure. Uh, but they will be evangelized by the Jews, 144,000 of them, who's going to go over all this whole planet telling people, turn to the Lord, accept him. And there will be people who will turn to Jesus. And those people are not going to be resurrected unless they're beheaded or martyred. But those who live, they're going to be going right on into the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, in that thousand-year reign of Christ, there is this dynamic at the end that reminds of the importance of the depravity of a heart and the need for the cross. Because at the end of the thousand years, Satan's released. And as Satan is released, the environment is perfect. Okay? The, the, the lion lays down with the lamb, all the, the great thing. There's, there's all this beautiful stuff that's going. And yet, while humanity will have seen on every news feed and gone to, gone to Jerusalem to see the, the wonderful brilliance of Jesus, at the end, there will be as many as the, the sand on the seashore that will turn away from Jesus and follow Satan. So if in this life, the people that live for the here and now, they use their environment as an excuse. Jesus, you know, when I was a first Christian, this was the great theological debate. If a, if a person was born and raised by wolves in a cave, would he go to heaven? Because we think that our environment dictates the heart but it doesn't. The perfect environment, people will still choose darkness. And so at the end, they'll be taken care of, and there'll be yet once again the reminder of the need for Jesus. Because the other thing that happens in this time period, we'll look a little bit more at this in a minute, but in this context, understand that God the Father has no grandchildren. People aren't born into. And so while people will be, will, will be marrying and having babies in their earthly bodies, not us, remember we're resurrected, that's going to take place, but they still have to receive Jesus just like you and I did. And at the end, that's the reminder that it's, an, it's not the environment, but it's a matter of the heart. So as we go to the go piece, check this out. Because what will it be like? There, I'm going to give you five things to just kind of go through here real briefly. 
First and foremost, it's going to be absolute peace. Psalm 72 says it this way, In the days, in his days, may the righteousness flourish and peace abound till the moon is no more. There's going to be a time of absolute peace. That means companies like Lockheed Martin in West Fort Worth will have to find something else to do because there's going to be no industry for those who look for new, unique, and powerful ways of killing people. Isaiah 11 says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little children shall lead them. In, in Clarence and I's home, when the kids were young, this was a conversation we regularly had with our kids. Because we believed that while we were in the here and now, there was going to be a there and then. And so we would ask them questions like, all right, you can't hang out with a bear today, but when I am, get my time in the millennial reign of Christ, I want, to, I want a pet bear. What kind of pet do you want? Before they kept eating people, I like going to SeaWorld and watching Shamu people shoot people out of, the, out of the water. I want to experience that in the millennial reign of Christ. Some of you are going, you're nuts. But I think about the there and then. That's the point. We talk about the there and then because it's a reality. Isaiah goes on and says, The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's going to be absolute peace that reigns supremely on the world in which we live. Now, I look forward to that. But here's the other cool part. There's also a, there's a, a prosperity that's talked about. Zechariah says, For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So, as I was growing up, we just heard this phrase over and over. Ultimately, you just work for the, the man, right? I don't know if you've seen the latest TikTok video of this girl trying to figure out taxes. So if somebody gives me $500... I have to give part of that $500 away and for taxes. And then if I go to the store and buy something, I've got to give that money away again for taxes, of which the owner then takes my money and has to pay taxes on that. We live in a world that's constantly take, 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 and take. But during the millennial reign of Christ, every person will prosper. And why is that important? Because we live in a day where, where we're told you just, the American dream, it's yours to go after. And so we think that we got to give everything we can for the here and now, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a there and then when whatever you put your hand on will turn to gold. There's a purity that Isaiah talks about. It says, from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, 
All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. We live in a world that is so vile and so full of stuff that causes us to, to shake our heads and go, what in the world are people thinking? That won't happen. All the news will be good. All of it. In fact, I would challenge I would challenge you to have a conversation in this next week with someone about what life will be like when there is absolutely no sin present. So the last time I had this conversation in our family came around football. Will we play football? I, don't, I think God gave us a competitive spirit. I'm not giving you an answer to that, but it's a place of conversation. Every area of our life is infiltrated and affected by sin. There's going to be a world where that just doesn't exist. Now, not relating to us, but there's going to be a prolonged life. Not for the resurrected, because we're we're living forever. But there's a prolonged life for those that, that are born during that time period. Isaiah said it this way, and how he saw it, he said, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man, the young man shall die a hundred years old. And the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. Now, this scripture says a number of different things. One, they're there are going to be people that live a long time. There are going to be people that live that entire thousand-year reign of Christ. And there are going to be those that don't. Because sitting in Jerusalem on his throne is Jesus, as the scripture says, rules with an iron scepter. And the moment a person introduces one dynamic of sin, they're done. There's no court. There, there, there's no judge that they're going to go for. But Jesus is just going to say, nope, that doesn't belong here. Nope, that doesn't belong there. And Jesus is just going to wipe that out. And what Isaiah is saying is, if that happens to somebody at 100 and they die, that's going to be weird. They're going to be cursed. Listen, if Jesus doesn't come back, I don't know that I want to live to be 100. Because I know what happens to the body. But in those days, there won't be those issues. They will live on and on and on. And we, in our, in our resurrected bodies, will be encouraging them consistently to submit wholeheartedly to the rule and reign of Jesus. And we, and really the whole world, are going to be filled with a personal joy. As I, as I was uh, really just kind of just meditating as... as uh, as Dada was kind of opening up and leading us in worship, I, I thought, and I just want to give a kudos here because I want you guys to get this. Dada is doing an incredible job creating worshipers in this room. The millennial reign of Christ, we're going to be walking everywhere with a song, with a praise in our hearts. Isaiah said, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The village of Kedar inhabitants. I like this next part. He says, let the inhabitants 
of Selah, sing for joy. Selah, by the way, means rest. And so that rest period in the millennial reign of Christ will be singing for joy. I won't be struggling on the front row of church trying to go, am I supposed to go high? Am I supposed to go low? I'll just have a voice that's able to sing really well. It says, let them shout from the mountain, top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Joy will be constant. Today we hear people make this phrase, well, we want you just to be happy. And there, and there, there are moments where we find happiness. There, there are the bucket lips, bucket lists where we, in the here and now, get to enjoy the vacation we have been dreaming about. But there will be joy that is so overflowing in our hearts because every part of life that we wish we could and didn't, or even the areas where we did and said there's more, we make a check mark. Jesus, you made this possible. Jesus, you made this possible. Jesus, you made this possible. And we'll have this continuous joy before the Lord. But it's recognizing and really starts for us in the here and now by saying, we know the King. We know the King that has come and is coming. And so whether you're in this room or you are watching online, it's our prayer that you just turn to Jesus and say, I make you King. I make you king of my life today, and I look forward to where you become king on this earth in the there and then, and we rule and reign together. But I do believe that for Bethel and the, the people that are part of Bethel, the Lord is really calling us to a place where we, we recognize there is a, a here and now, but let's really take seriously the there and then. And let's invest and let's, and let's recognize people are important. And we live in a world where sinning sinners sin while they're sinning. And yet God loves them. And when we don't, we need to turn to him and say, I'm gonna, I, I need your presence. I need your ability to love the people that are hardest around me so that they might be introduced to a, a a God, a person in Jesus Christ who will say to them one day, you come and reign with me. There was the then and back there, but now, the here and now, you're with me forever. And I believe that, and, and listen, it's, it with the fire and the, and the intensity in the room is building and growing. Thank you to the prayer team that came last night and, and prayed over this room. It was evident once again this week. God is calling us not just to these moments of, of increased fire, but that we take the presence and the power of Jesus in our life through the Holy Spirit, and we say to a world that is all living for the here and now, there is a there and then, and let's point toward it now. And so Jesus, we say yes to you. We say yes to your plan, that Lord, you, knowing that you have destined in the right time, the calling home of the church, where we get to enjoy this, this, uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb, where we have this seven-year party that we are uh, able to enjoy, knowing that in this life, in the here and now, we've said no to the moments that, that could have been enjoyed. We say no to the, to the weekend away because you've called us to something a little bit bigger than that. And Lord, we know that there's a time coming where it's going to be endless joy, where, where the, we don't have the worries that this life has. But Lord, until that day, I pray that, Lord, you will fill us with your presence, 
so that, Lord, we might be a people that are helping those in this world, the people who are in our neighborhoods, the people who are in our workplace, the people who are in the marketplace that we go to regularly, that, that there is a Jesus who will take you to the, to the there and then, to the life that is full of peace and prosperity, personal joy, life that never ends. And so, Lord, help us in that. Lord, for the person that is hearing these words and, and wants to live for you, Lord, you just said turn to you, and you would not turn them away. And so, Lord, we say yes, yes to you in all that you have. We exchange our life for yours in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Let's, let's stand together and let's sing one more song. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.